name is Bella Martinez, and I'm a covenant partner here at FPC and a part of the young adult um, community. This morning, we continue to celebrate Advent through studying Simeon's song. The spirit-filled message of the old man shapes our hearts to encounter Jesus Christ today. Using the word of God, Simeon helps us see that Jesus was more than a baby. Jesus is the king, salvation from God, light to the world, and glory of all nations. When we encounter Jesus for who he really is, then this Advent season, we will be moved to marvel with Jesus's mother, Mary. Hear the word of God. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit to, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Thank you, Bella. Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to worship with you this morning. If uh, you have a Bible, uh, keep it open to Luke chapter 2. We're going to work through this passage. If you don't, we're going to be putting a few passages on the screen. Uh, This is normally a passage that we uh, read after Christmas, but I think it's appropriate for us uh, as a congregation to really allow our hearts to move from what we talked about last week, pondering, uh, moving with Mary to marveling at at Christmas. If you're uh, with us today and you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, Advent is a time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, and we know uh, that he will come again. It deepens our anticipation for that. And we want to invite you to explore who Jesus is today through the Word. Um, And I tell you what, uh, when we really encounter Jesus fresh, Uh, you will realize your heart, all that you've been longing for, is is found a fullness in Jesus. If you're with us today and and you see Christmas as just kind of a religious ritual, that it is that time of year to start going to church, and it is that time of year to check the box, if you will, then, hey, we're glad you're here with us as well. Uh, And if you understand Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, I hope that all of us are met freshly by the revelation of who Christ is. Uh, We're going to move with Mary, as I said from her journey of pondering to marveling. Uh, We saw last week in 2.19 that Mary pondered, and if you were 
with us in our Sunday school class. We gave you a little acronym for pondering, all right? Just ponder. You can remember it on one fist like this, P-O-N-D-er, okay? Ponder. All right, so P, we just invited us in the busyness of the season to pause and to pray. Uh, that is to just ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to our hearts. O, we wanted to open our hearts to what the Lord might want to do to have what we call the fourth soil posture uh, that would be really and ready to receive the word of God. And then in, what does it mean to really notice the substance of God's work, the substance of God's word and the substance of his character, who that is, and allow that to really uh, uh, dive deep into our souls. And the deep is, the D is just to make a decision. You're just going to, we're going to decide, uh, we're going to prioritize uh, to dwell on the truth and to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to teach us. And that E then is an expectant posture. We are just going to be a people who expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We are going to be a people who expect that God's going to be faithful to his promises and he's going to really reveal himself to us. In R, in advance, we're going to rejoice and give thanks. So this is what we looked at last week in pondering, P-O-N-D-er. You can remember it all on one hand, uh, and I just want to encourage you to, to allow yourself to uh, meditate and marinate on the season uh, of, of Advent uh, and Christmas generally as we approach the 25th. If you look in verse 20, uh, 33, you'll see that Mary moves from the pondering that we saw in 219 and in 33, it says that, uh, and his father, that's Jesus' father, Joseph, and his mother, that's Jesus' mother, Mary, marveled at what was said to him. What moved Mary to marvel? What fuels our souls to celebrate the substance of the season? Here's what it is. It is ordinary experience and encounters with the living Jesus who wants to have a relationship with us. In a narrative that has been extraordinary from the beginning, that a virgin would conceive, that uh, Zacharias, the, the father of John the Baptist, went silent because he saw a vision, he didn't believe, that, that dreams were spoken to with Joseph, uh, that angels are going to sing, like this narrative that is marked with extraordinary work. The invitation for us is to embrace and to celebrate the ordinary and to trust that God's spirit is going to work through that in extraordinary ways. It really is going to move us to marveling. And here's our problem. Our problem is that oftentimes we're far too familiar. Familiarity. It breeds a contentedness or we're apathetic. We just really don't have a desire to engage the living God. Or uh, we just keep uh, Jesus at an arm's distance. Things we control can control, like just doing good and checking boxes and, and moving forward. The opportunity that the gospel gives us today, and I really want to encourage you to take it, is to accept the invitation to allow the ordinary work of discipleship, just f f obedience, just following Jesus, to be moved with the Holy Spirit to give you an extraordinary encounter with Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you today, and then we're going to study his word. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for your word and your work. Thank you for the reality that you have come and you will come again. Jesus, I just pray that you would ambush us today, that your Holy Spirit would grab our hearts in ways that we have been longing for, that we'd see life and hope that would just give us such freshness to our soul, 
That's just like water going over a dry and barren place. In the same way that your spirit gave life to Mary's womb, would you please, Holy Spirit, give us life today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So look, there's different ways that people attempt to encounter God, uh, different religions, different worldviews, different uh, action steps that people take. Here's of different formulas that you want to encounter God. You want to climb your way up to him. You want to work your way over to him. Christianity is unique in that God works his way to encounter you. This is one of the names of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came to know us and be relationship with us. And ways that we encounter, that we can encounter him in personal ways, in life-giving ways, in transforming ways, uh, ways that can give us everything our heart's looking for and longing for, are very, very ordinary. And we see this, we begin to see this uh, in Jesus' uh, Jesus's presentation. When Joseph and Mary present Jesus, uh, they come to the temple, verses 22 to 24. Uh, this is very ordinary. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called and to offer a sacrifice and do according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And it goes on. Uh, twice repeated, it's, it's according to the law of Moses. It's according to the law of the Lord. This is a very ordinary thing for a Jewish family to do. When they have a child, they would take him in a time of purification, ceremonial cleansing, consecration. They would go and make a sacrifice. A normal family that was middle class, upper class, they would bring according to the law of Moses, a lamb. Uh, they would bring an animal, turtle doves, uh, to make a sacrifice. Uh, Mary and Joseph didn't have that. They came uh, with a far uh, more meager sacrifice that represented their status. But what is important to us is that they were ordinarily obeying according to the law of Moses, doing what an ordinary Jewish family would do. And it's in this ordinary obedience that Mary and Joseph have, that they have an extraordinary encounter. Yes, they were following Leviticus 12 and Numbers 19 and Exodus 13. Yes, they were. But in this ordinary invitation that God gives his people, they encounter the living God in an extraordinary way. Uh, you know, we, we have a hard time believing that Ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary things. But if you have a favorite author, or I have an architect in my family, I have a favorite architect, not many of y'all do, uh, but my senior is getting ready to graduate college, she's an architect, and it's a whole lot of ordinary practice of drawing. She's an interior designer as well, that's her main major. Uh, but she, it's just ordinary activity. If you have a favorite athlete, like Nash Jones who's here, Nash, I'll tell you, man, the last time I saw you, you were in California. It was watching on YouTube in the quarterfinals in UIW1, and they're going uh, to the semifinals next week. Yeah. I texted Nash. I texted him and told him I fell asleep during the game because y'all were playing like super late, and I woke up in joy. <laughs> but if you were to ask Nash, like, how do y'all become one of the greatest teams in FCS? He would talk about all his hard work, listening to his coach, but it's a whole lot of ordinary workouts, a whole lot of ordinary drills, a whole lot of ordinary practices. 
it, we actually understand from a practical standpoint that greatness that we see, whether it's in athletes or actors or, or authors or architects, uh, really anyone who excels in things, it comes from a lot of ordinary activity. Well, the, the reality uh, that we see in, in Mary and Joseph is a move to marveling because they were operating in ordinary obedience. The invitation for God's people, the invitation for just humanity in general, is to have an extraordinary encounter with the living God through very ordinary things by coming to his word and allowing his spirit to work and, and coming to his table. And this is exactly what we find when we move from the presentation, we move to the revelation. Now, here's what I need you to remember. This is uh, not the, the encounter that Mary and Joseph uh, dream up or drum up through their uh, obedience. Their obedience is not a way that obligated uh, the spirit to work in Simeon to speak the word. Their obedience was actually a vehicle. When Jesus says, come to me, it's a response to his invitation. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, then that is a response to his invitation of a loving God. When Jesus says, repent and follow me, we obey as a response to his grace. And, and this invitation is for everybody who is searching and wandering, everybody who is longing for the things that only Jesus can give you. Do we need to set the context for that with specificity before we move into the practicality of the word? Let's just do it for a second. Let me tell you that if you are grieving today, holidays can be difficult for people. God promises that he gives hope and peace in the person of Christ. It's part of his reign. The invitation from God is made through Christ. The obedience is just to come in a common and ordinary way and to respond to God's invitation. If you are here today and you're stuck in shame and you long to be free, maybe you have a struggle that seems to be more oppressive and domineering than anything, and it's, it's really defeating you and devastating you. The promise of the gospel through Jesus Christ is that he takes away shame in his death on the cross, that he gives us his righteous record so there's no condemnation in him, and that when we are one with Christ, the domain of sin is gone from our life, that the power of sin is uh, underneath the authority of the gospel. This invitation is for us, and we could go through all kinds of situation whether we're practically talking about grieving or growing more Christ-like, but I'm telling you, it is this ordinary invitation that our obedience doesn't obligate God, but it's just a response to the grace and the invitation of God. This is where Mary and Joseph found themselves. And as they come, you see that the revelation that, that leads into marveling comes by the Spirit. Look at verse 25 there. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We'll talk about that in a second. And the Holy Spirit was on him. You see, Simeon was waiting, and the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, was upon him. 
And if you see the next two verses, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes the ordinary extraordinary. Check this out. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the Savior. And so Simeon, verse 27, came in the Spirit to the temple. You see, the Spirit of God is the same Spirit that if you go back to Genesis 1, verse 2, hovered over the waters and brought order to God's good creation. It's the spirit of God that if we go earlier into this narrative, it's the same spirit that hovered under Mary, over Mary's womb. She was a virgin. And the spirit that brought order to life and creation brought life inside of Mary. It's the same spirit that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 and Galatians 4. But specifically, it's a spirit of adoption that seals us as children of God, that gives us a new identity in God, that when we respond to the grace of God with faith in the promise of God and go to the person of God, we have a secure identity in the work of God, Jesus Christ, we are his child, and his spirit makes that possible. This spirit uses the ordinary things of God that are found in our obedience and response to God that does extraordinary things in our lives. Now imagine Mary and Joseph are bringing baby Jesus. He's eight days old. He comes into the temple and this long-haired, I imagine this like Callan in like 60 years, right? Like he's got white hair, a white beard, and he's got like this old voice and he just approaches him. In today's day and age, if you've got a baby and an old man that looks like Callan comes to you and starts talking, maybe go the other way. In Jesus' day, he starts talking to her, and what's crazy is, by the Spirit, the ordinary man of Simeon speaks the ordinary word of God, and it changes everything. This, he begins to sing in verse 29. This is a language of a song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it is important to know that this is the fifth song in Luke's narrative of the birth of Jesus, the fifth one. That puts it in the category of musical. <laughs> Why is there so much singing when Jesus is born and presented? Because salvation brings joy. Salvation, salvation brings life. Salvation brings freedom. Salvation brings this response of overflowing gratitude. It bursts forth in song, a song of victory, a song of hope, a song of freedom. And if my heart's not singing, then I got to ask the question if his salvation is really shaping me. And his spirit gives this through Simeon, and it's through the word. Now, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Somehow God had made a promise to Simeon that before he died, he'd see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentile for the glory of your people. And we don't have time to unpack it today, but suffice it to say that in those two verses, the Simeon is 
pulling allusions from uh, Isaiah chapter 40 to chapter 66, uh, really probably to chapter 53, where the servant of God is described, the work of the servant is described uh, through the prophet Isaiah to a people who are in exile, a people who are away from their homeland. Uh, The whole second part of Isaiah is written to give hope to the destitute exiles uh, of Judah. It's written to give light and life to those that are far off in darkness. They were in the Babylonian empire. And he uses this language. I, 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 I draw on that specificity because I want you to see it. He calls Jesus the salvation of the world. The salvation of the world. Now, he's drawing, this is a major theme in scripture. We can go back to Genesis 3.15. It's the first promise of salvation where uh, after uh, Adam and Eve sinned, uh, when God is cur- uh, pronouncing the curse from their disobedience, a curse that comes when we reject God's rule and we reject their relationship with God, uh, he, he, he gives a promise of hope. And he says that the seed of this woman, speaking of Eve, this seed will smash the head of the serpent. That's the first promise of salvation. We can go all the way to the end of of the book of the Bible in Revelation, and we see the celebration of salvation in song in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 7, and we see the celebration of salvation in application when we get to 21 to 22 chapters of Revelation, that there is a place where there is no more sin, no more mourning, no more dying, No more fears. The old order has completely passed away. All of this comes through Jesus, who Simeon calls the salvation of the world. So they're walking in with this baby, and this man starts singing, and he calls the child, this is the salvation of the world. That's my old man voice, not Batman. And then he calls him the light of the nations. And just to bring these together back to the the, uh, Isaiah uh, sections I talked about, this is a verse that is the definite backdrop to this song. It is too light a thing that you, speaking of the servant, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring them back to the preserved Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. How is that possible? Jesus. He is the Lord's salvation. He is the light of the world. He is the glory for all people. The baby that Mary is holding, the baby that went through just ordinary set-apart circumcision ceremony, ceremonial cleansing, he is the glory of all people. All nations that you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. This is straight from Psalm 86.9. And you, O Lord, and shall we glorify your name. This, is, this singing of Simeon is saturated with Old Testament revelation. He's using the ordinary word of God that is set apart by the spirit of God to move Mary to marveling. And I I gotta tell you, I wrestled with this. How do I illustrate this? I I thought, Lord, can I just have a great story? Can I just have a story that will inspire people? There wasn't anything. I honestly, I'm trying to figure this out. I was was prayerfully Googling. Have you done that? Like, God, I just wanna find the right thing. Holy Spirit, lead us. No, that's not gonna work. I won't even tell you what came up. But you know what happened this week? I was just ordinarily doing my job. And I got to tell you, I have one of the best jobs in the world. I love it. Some of you are on this Zoom call. 
we did a Zoom call with our global ministry partners, just an hour of prayer. We on the front end were saying, uh, email them all, please send us your prayer requests. We're gonna pray for you. Our prayer team was there, members of our church, our ministry champions. We had a pastor who has been pastoring in Myanmar. There's been a refugee. We haven't seen him since the coup. We've been worried about him. A few updates. He joined from the border of India and Myanmar. Uh, we had uh, people representing the persecuted church in Iran uh, who we're praying for prisoners in Iran that are Christians. We had uh, missionary partners from Poland who were praying for all the refugees leaving the, the Ukrainian uh, war crisis. Uh, we had ministry partners from the Dominican Republic uh, we didn't have our Haiti ministry partners there. We are praying for Haiti and the unbelievable um, evil that's uh, happening there. We also had our ministry partners from Africa. I said, God, how do we really celebrate? How can I help you all see that this baby Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, like he is the salvation of the world. He is the light for all darkness. He is God's glory for, how can I do this? And I was uh, one of our own covenant partners who we prayed for and commissioned that now lives in Africa, Molly Stuckey. She was on the call. As we're praying, her power goes out. Somehow the generator makes it so she can still use her phone to pray. I was moved and I started filming because WWJD, right? He would film prayers. Just kidding. Um, and I wanted to show you this video. And it starts with, it's, it's just a minute of her prayer and it starts with a picture of only one of the two pages of our ministry partners that are refugees on the run for their life, prisoners, uh, 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 fighting for life after a war, uh, serving in some of the most persecuted places in the world, and we're praying all because of Jesus. Show the video. God, I ask that all of the work that we have done with our hands here um, has been glorifying to you and has been an act of worship. And I pray that um, every every person we interact with, every person we meet, and the impact of our products just go to help disciple those around us and show them who you are through the work we do, through the conversations we have, just through the heart posture we approach all of our work and life with. And God, I thank you for the many, many, many abundant opportunities to spread the gospel with those around us. And I thank you that the same, um, that we take with the same seriousness here as all of the members of FPC of San Antonio take. Um, and that is like taking seriously the great commission that you have told us and commanded us to go out and make disciples of all the nations. So I thank you and praise you for those opportunities and um, the work that you are doing through the Holy Spirit and, and people's lives here and allowing us to partner with you and and bringing more people to Christ and creating disciples of all the nations. So I thank you um, for all of this, all of the support um, from First Presence just around the world and um, pray that you continue to be with us in, in the struggles but also the joys. Um, and all of the blessings that you have given us abundantly um, every day. So in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's powerful, isn't it? By the way, she had no idea that I was filming that. <laughs> she didn't have it written down. How do you illustrate that 
this baby Jesus is the savior of the world. He is. How do you illustrate that this baby Jesus is a light in the darkest situations? Whether you're living as a refugee, you don't know where your next meal's coming from, or you're so broken by a sense of loss, you don't know how you're going to move forward. He is that light. How? How do I really illustrate that Jesus really is the glory of all nations? He is. That this baby that we worship, that we celebrate, that comes this season, he's not just a child. The revelation by the Spirit is that he is God of all that is. He is ruler of all that is. That he has conquered even death and every enemy is subverted under his authority. That includes every power in this world, every principality, every domain. He is king and that includes the sin that you struggle with, the shame that you wrestle with. He has conquered that. That's who we worship. That's who he is. And the Holy Spirit makes that effectual in our lives for transformation. I'm telling you, that's exciting. And we experience that through ordinary engagement of the word, ordinary engagement at the table, ordinary prayer, ordinary fellowship. That's how, I mean, we were just praying on a Zoom call. That's how God's Holy Spirit works. And it leads to celebration. You see uh, in verse 33 to 35, it says that his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They were marveled. When was the last time we really marveled at Christ? That we were really marveled at his work? That we really marveled at the grace of God? This is what happens when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and the work of God in the lives of the people of God. We're not just inspired we don't just feel good at Christmas. We're truly transformed because we are his children, his family, inheritors of his promise, living for a city that is yet to come. So the marveling of Mary, it literally just means she was amazed, astonished, had a, a deep admiration. One thing she didn't have is a profound apathy or just an overwhelming exhaustion from the busyness of Christian. I'm sure she could have avoided the ordinary work of going to the temple because she, she could have been so busy going to Christmas parties or uh, buying Christmas presents, you know, all that stuff. She didn't, though. She opened herself to the ordinary obedience, and the Spirit worked in extraordinary ways. But this marveling, you need to know it, it's followed by martyrdom. Because her child uh, that was born to her, that had all these signs uh, that confirmed that he truly was the savior of the world, he is, these signs pointed to a greater sign, that he was born to die. And the last part of this passage is, points to this reality. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary's holding her son that's recently born, marveling at the revelation of who God is and what he's done, knowing that she's gonna lose him. If you're a Christian in here, then you know that death is an invitation to life. 
because Christ went to the cross for us. This is why the apostle Paul would say what seems very foolish to the world. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. See, we know this, and this is why our discipleship in following Jesus, we know that to really find life, it means to lose it, to really receive blessing in the kingdom is to give. The way that we experience satisfaction is to give ourselves away. But if you're like me, then you haven't found all of the blessing that God wants to give us in, in our obedience. If you're like me, then it's hard to identify with the obedient steps of Mary and Joseph because too often I'm not following life according to the word of God. I'm following life according to the feelings of Mitchell, according to the desires of the Mitchell team. And that I'm working on skills that are more self-serving than giving glory and the victory to the king. That's me, maybe not you. But that's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't die because he was a good Jew having a bad day. He didn't die because we just need another holiday in April. Easter, a lot of y'all were doing the math. What's the next holiday in April? <laughs> I see. Y'all were like, San Antonio's like, oh, the rodeo's in February. What? Yeah. Jesus died because we have sinned. We haven't obeyed. And he gives us the sign and seal of his covenant love for us in this sacrament. This ordinary bread and ordinary cup is set apart in extraordinary ways because God wants to feed your soul with grace. God wants you in your unrighteousness to feast on his righteousness. God invites you in your death to feast on his life. God wants you in your mortality to feast on his immortality. God wants you in your sin and your shame to feast on his forgiveness. Jesus died so that we could live. And we can be sure of God's steadfast love because the night that Jesus was betrayed... In the meal that he had with his disciples, it included the one who would betray him so that we could be accepted. After giving thanks, he took ordinary bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took an ordinary cup with ordinary juice and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, he is going to come again. And here's what we know. What we know is that while Jesus is locally present at the right hand of the Father, he's ascended into heaven, he is spiritually by the power of his spirit present in this meal. And so we invite you to come feast and to be nourished by his grace. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, if you know the gospel, this table's for you. If you're not a Christian, if you're an observer to the faith, please, we would love to pray for you. But this meal is to nourish people who are struggling to follow Jesus. 
and just need the ground, the solid ground of his grace to feed and nourish our souls. This is a family meal. So I will pray and set this apart and I'm gonna invite you to come forward to get the elements and then go back to your seats and we'll take them together, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace and your mercy. We thank you for these uh, elements, ordinary bread and ordinary cup. We ask that you would set them apart in extraordinary ways. We pray, Lord, that you would give healing where there is brokenness, hope where there is devastation, forgiveness where there is a deep realization of sin, strength where there is an acknowledgement of our own weakness. And then in all things, Lord, together, your people, your children will say your grace is sufficient. Feed us with your grace now through these elements, we pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.